Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, we're beginning a brand new series titled Battles in the Break Room. I thought about calling it Combat in the Comments section or War on the Web. There is a battle at stake at both of our locations. There's a battle, and the Bible talks about this battle. It's above our heads. It's in the principalities. It's, it's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And what's happened over the past couple of years is that battle has made its way down to earth, and now we're no longer fighting us against others. It's like we're fighting against ourselves. And until we get clarity as to what we believe and how we should fight these battles, then we won't know how to fight them. So over the next several weeks, we are going to be addressing topics like sex and gender, abortion, critical theory, deconstruction. And I want to set a foundation today about how we live our lives as Jesus did, which is full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Turn to your neighbor at both of our locations say, I'm full of it. I'm full of it. What are you full of? I'm full of grace and truth. Verse 16. Out of his fullness, come on somebody, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, hallelujah, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Can I get a praise break for just the grace and truth for Jesus Christ? I wouldn't finish with worship. I wouldn't finish shouting to God, thanking him for grace and truth. Thank you that I don't have to live with only one or the other, but I get access to both. And I get access to the fullness of both. Father, help us preach today as we come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the authoritative word of God. I pray that we would leave here full of grace and full of truth. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You have two options today. Today you have two options. Everyone at the sound of my voice, those joining online, those at our Apex location, you have two options. Number one, you can choose Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, or you can choose the world, full of anti-grace and anti-truth. You can choose Jesus, or you can choose the world. Instead of grace in the world, it's outrage and cancel culture. Instead of truth, They're using this term called moral relativism. If you're taking notes today, you can write that down because it's going to creep into the college campuses all around you. It will make its way into high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, preschools, and Montessori schools. If we are not careful, moral relativism will make its way into the culture. What is moral relativism, Pastor Mike? I'm so glad that you asked. This is what it says. Number one, it says there is no absolute moral truth distinguishing right from wrong. You've heard this said already. Everyone ought to follow their own moral code. Nobody's moral code is better than anyone else's. They say this. They say everyone ought to tolerate the moral code of others. That is moral relativism. And the irony in there, do you hear the irony? The moral relativism says there is absolutely no absolute truths you hear that they are convinced that there's there's absolutely no absolutes 
Excuse me? Sounds like you've caught yourself in an endless loop of lies. There is absolutely no absolute truth. Well, is it truth or is it not? And if you judge someone else's morals, that would be absolutely morally wrong. This is what is creeping in, and I want to equip you for the battle. That's why we call it battles in the break room, because when you're in the break room, they're going to ask you, what does your church believe about this? What does your church believe about that? And you, my friend, as a Christian, must understand that you are full of grace and truth. It's made its way into philosophy. Frederick Nietzsche says this, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist. You know what I and God think about that? It's just not true. It's just not true. It's an attractive idea. You have your way, I have mine. There is really no right way until someone gets hurt. Until, until I can take your stuff and nobody can tell me that it's wrong. Nice. But if someone takes something from me, that's not nice. That's wrong. It's very interesting what moral relativism will do because many people will say, well, you just speak your truth. You've heard it said before. What's right for you isn't right for me. This is, comes up often. Or, you know, who are you to tell me that I shouldn't live my life the way that I want to? You've heard this said to each their own. And all of these sentiments come from anti-truth and how dare you tell someone that they are wrong. If you do, you get an anti-grace cancellation on everything in your life. Fire them because they don't agree. You know, what's interesting is that you can have all of your own unique experiences, but you cannot have your own truth. I'm going to say that one more time. You can have all of your own unique experiences, but you cannot have your own truth. I'm concerned. I fear that many Christians have misunderstood grace and they fear truth so much that they will not declare truth. This is what some Christians think. Some Christians think grace is permissiveness and that truth is private. Some Christians think Grace is me letting you live your own life, and truth is for me to, to, to keep to myself. And that's just not truth. I fear that Nietzsche's way of thinking has crept into the churches and infected the minds of Christians all around us. Even some in this church would say, well, Jesus says that we are to live, uh, you know, of the world and kind of, you know, no, Jesus did not say that. Jesus says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Even though we live in this world, we're not supposed to let the world dictate the way we live or think. It's not the world, but the word that is meant to guide our thoughts and lives. Thank God for Jesus who renews our minds and changes the way we think. Because if not, we would let everyone have their own truth. Ephesians 4.14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. <laughs> Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. When you see that phrase, speak the truth in love, it doesn't mean that you should just kind of let everybody do what they want because you love them. It means that you speak the truth because you love them. 
It means that you're loving them enough to tell them the truth. If I walk around with something in my teeth, and I'm around people who say they love me, but I get home at the end of the day, and I look into the mirror, zoom in really tight, and I say, dear God, that's cilantro from 11 a.m. And then I start thinking about all of the people that knew that I had that in my teeth that say that they love me. Tell me the truth if my zipper's down. Tell me the truth if I got something in my teeth. If they didn't tell you, they didn't love you enough. So what do I mean when I say truth? I mean, I love you enough to confront you. I care enough about you to tell you you're going in the wrong direction. I care enough about you to be concerned about what sin will do to your life. Let's say someone you love gets an unattractive haircut. You would tell them in a loving and gentle way, it's just a haircut. But let's say that that same person is driving off a cliff. Would you tell them the same? Would you talk to them about their haircut the same way you were talking to them about driving off a cliff? Absolutely not. There's urgency involved in death. Hair always grows back, but if you're driving off a cliff, I'm going to speak to you with much more confidence and much more boldness. And, and here's the deal. Truth is not a weapon. Truth is freedom. I'm not here to leverage truth against you. I'm here to expose truth so that it can set you free. It says in John chapter 8, 31, the Jews who had believed in him, uh, Jesus said, if I told you my teaching, you, you, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The world says that truth is relative, but Jesus says his words are the truth. So freedom comes from that truth all of the lies of satan they keep us trapped in sin satan satan tells us sin is better than god's way when in reality sin leads to death allow me to be very clear if you are living in sin you are headed towards destruction every time lies of the world this is what they say it feels good to do it be yourself find your own freedom your own truth you were born that way YOLO, do what makes you happy. That is not the truth. Jesus says, pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. That's the truth. That's the truth. John 1.16 says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law of Moses, which some churches avoid, establishes the holy standard of God as the truth. And it helps us realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 7, 7, in fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that covering that coveting was wrong unless... The law had not said, you must not covet. Some might think it's mean to tell people that they're wrong. But you can't find freedom from sin until you know the truth about your sin. The law shows us that we are all sinners 
who have been infected by sin, and sin leads to death. The majority of people in this world tend to think, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's what we hear all the time. Oh, I'm a good person. I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm a good person. But Romans 3, 9 says, none is righteous, not a single one. Some people would think that this is mean. It's mean for me to tell people that they are not good. It's mean for me to tell people that they are sinners. It's mean for me to tell people that they are headed towards a life of death and destruction should they not receive the grace of Jesus Christ. But it's actually loving. It's actually loving. In this cancel culture world of moral relativism, what I'm saying as truth comes across as triggering when it's actually me loving you enough to tell you that the direction that your life is heading is wrong. Is wrong. Now imagine your house is on fire. Imagine your, your house is on fire. Okay? And it, it, it's, it, you're, you're asleep in your house. It's on fire. Your house is on fire. You're asleep. What do I do? Um, hey, just so you know, I've really been thinking about this lately. You should probably put that fire out. And, and maybe, you know, just kind of, you know, you know, you choose, but I'd probably leave. Yeah. No. What are you going to do when someone's living in unrepentant sin and their life is headed towards destruction? Your house is on fire and you're going to go find a hose. You're going to go find a bucket. You're going to call the fire department. You're going to do everything you can to open up their eyes to the truth of their future lest they get saved. It's the truth whether you like it or not. Sin is dangerous and destructive. It's the truth. Once you realize that you're in danger, then you can call him the Savior. But if I don't reveal to you your sin nature, if God does not reveal to you how far you are from him, then you will just keep going on your way, knowing I know your house is on fire, but you don't know your house is on fire. When you realize the truth sets you free, you realize what Paul was saying through the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 7, 22. It says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. This is the people who have not gotten the grace. They are miserable. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25. We're going to end with that verse 2. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God he provides a solution to our sinful nature. He saves us from death and destruction. The law was given by God's grace to show us the truth. And yet it was the blueprint foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he is a living, breathing embodiment of the law, full of grace and truth to set us free from sin and death. I am thankful that truth and grace comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is not acceptance. Grace is not acceptance. The world says they want tolerance. Tolerance is uh, you live and let live. Like, don't bother me. I don't bother you. Tolerance. But that's really not what the world wants. They don't just want tolerance. The world wants acceptance, affirmation, and approval. This part is just for the Christians. Okay, just hang on. They want us Christians to, to not just to tolerate them, but they want us to affirm and accept every lifestyle and every sin nature. 
We can't do that because as Christians, we are subject to God before we are subject to man. And God's word says sin leads to death. Therefore, I can't affirm, accept, or approve of sin because sin leads to death. And I will be partnering with you to, cry, to, to commit a crime, which is death and destruction of your eternal soul. James 1.15 says, and when sin is allowed to grow, what does it give birth to? It gives birth to death. Here's a conversation that I drummed up in my head that the world has with the Christians. This is the break room conversation. This is the battle in your break room. The world says, you Christians need to accept me. And we say, we do accept you, and God accepts you. Then the world says, well, if you accept me, then you would approve of my sin. And we say, no, because God does not accept your sin. The world says, well, if you love me, you'll accept my sin. And we say, we can't accept your sin because we love you. Then the world says, but I love my sin. And we say, but your sin leads to death. These are the conversations that we have to have. And what we need to bring people to is a place of fullness of truth and grace. God does not offer tolerance of sin, but he is very tolerant of sinners who repent of sin and receive his grace. I'm going to say that one more time for the people at our apex location. God does not offer tolerance of sin, but he is very tolerant of sinners who repent of sin and receive his grace. Thank you, God, for tolerating my mess. Thank you for sending Jesus full of grace and full of truth. What is grace? Grace is unfailing love and unmerited favor. Ephesians 2.8. I'm trying to hurry because I got a video to show you that is so powerful of a, of a family in our church that has received the grace and truth of Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is a gift of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Acts 20, 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that I was able to build you up and give you an inheritance for all, that he, for all those he has set apart for himself. God's grace saves us from our sins, receives us, and helps us to accomplish our calling. God's grace builds a better life than our old life ever had to offer. Before Jesus, every single one of us inherited sin, sickness, death, and deception. But when we received a new inheritance, we received freedom, forgiveness, favor, and life. The tolerance that the world offers is no substitute for the amazing grace that comes from God. By God's grace, we've gone from rebels to royalty. We were once slaves and sinners, but now we are sons and daughters of God. Grace is a love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you, and it has nothing to do with you. But it is, it is beloved. It has everything and only to do with the one distributing the grace. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is a one-way love from God. As a Christian, I want you to show people grace, and I also want you to speak the truth. The hard thing is we're human, and it's so easily for us to gravitate towards whatever our leaning is. If you've ever taken a personality profile test before, chances are you either lean towards grace or you lean towards truth. You know, if you are a person with a shepherding gift, a person with a pastoral gift, you lean towards grace. If you're someone like me, apostolic and evangelistic, I have very little grace. I have all truth. 
And I got to wake up in the morning and remind myself that if Jesus was full of both, I can be also. So if you've ever done one of those and you know what your gifting is, the problem is, is that if you're full of truth and no grace, then you look at life like a game of whack-a-mole. And every lie that comes across your feed, you in the comment section are like, <laughs> full of truth, zero grace. Every lie becomes a nail and every, every comment becomes a hammer. You're like King James Version, boom, 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 you know? And if you're a mercy person with like a care gift, I don't know how that feels, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. Then you love grace. And the problem is, is you love to care so much that you become a doormat. When lies overwhelm you, there's so much grace that you can't insert truth. And so the, the truth people, you know who you are. You're like, uh, 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 whack-a-mole. And then the grace people are like, why is everyone walking all over me? You have to be full of both. You have to know when the time is to be full of truth and when the time it is to be full of grace. You love grace. You probably see broken people and your heart goes out to them. You drive past it. You're always giving money to the homeless guy. And The problem is, is that you might hurt the person by withholding truth that would save them because you're too full of, full of no truth and only grace. What happens in churches is that people who love the truth get irritated with people who love grace. It happens a lot. And when people who love grace, they get irritated with people who love the truth. We've seen this play out. You know, you're going through the Rolodex. You're like, yeah, that's a truth person. And that truth person is like, that's an anti-truth person. <laughs> and then you see a grace person like, that's an anti-grace person. That's a grace person, right? Truth and grace cannot be divided from each other because they are not opposing forces. They are mutually exclusive. Truth and grace cannot be divided from each other. They are not opposing forces. They are or, or, or mutually exclusive. It's by God's grace we receive the truth, and the truth leads us to God's grace. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's unfailing love and was able to bring us perfectly 100% truth and 100% grace. At the same time, we're, we are not Jesus, but we are working our way there. But we have a hard time. How do you know? when to lean into truth and when to lean into grace. I'm so glad you asked. Jesus, as our prime example, he is tough and he is tender. He is grace and he is truth. He is all grace and he is all truth. He is the fulfillment of the law, yet he died for our sins as the ultimate sign of grace. The perfect, the perfect God. Perhaps no greater example then when Jesus is debating between Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of that time, in John chapter 8, this is what he said. He's tough. This is tough Jesus. Are you ready? If you were looking for tough Jesus, here he is right now. Some of you are like, he's just a little lamb shepherd. No, not here. Here's what Jesus says to a crowd of people and to Pharisees. He says, yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. This is Jesus. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham. 
They declared, no, Jesus replied. For if you were really children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Verse 40. Instead, you were trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are not. You are. No, verse 41. You are imitating your real father. Now, God, Jesus is insulting their father. They were. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. This is when Jesus just tough. Jesus told them, if God were your father, then you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. I like tough Jesus. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no room for truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me just give you a warning. When you tell the truth, people are always going to try to kill you. Take it from a pastor who people have tried to find my home address before. Take it from a pastor who people have taken screenshots of private text messages and tried to send them out. Every time you preach the truth, people will always try to kill you. You are about to watch a story in a couple of minutes that is so powerful with truth that I guarantee you there will be persecution because of it. But we did not come to cower. We came to stand on the true word of God that sets people free, full of truth and full of grace. Going to get tough truth. But even the tough truth is meant to lead the hard-hearted people to freedom. Now, Jesus is also tender. Some of you relate to that. Your dad is the devil. That's what Jesus told him. And then, same chapter. Jesus is tender here, and he says, As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd, and they said, Teacher, They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says you are supposed to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him. All right, but let the first one, Jesus replies, let the first one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He bends down. He starts to write in the dust. And one by one, they start to drop their stones. And then this is what Jesus says. John chapter 8, verse 10. It says, "When, when Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. And then this last phrase is so important because if not, you'll just, you'll just let him keep going. He says, go, sin no more. Is there a better phrase that embodies grace and truth? Truth and grace. Then go and sin no more. Not throwing stones or condemning, but at the same time saying, go and sin no more, is a full embodiment of grace and truth. He didn't tolerate her sin. He said, stop sinning. He didn't say, just do what feels right. He said, stop sinning. 
He didn't say, she can't help it. She was born that way. He said, stop sinning. And as this woman recognized that Jesus was Lord, she experienced the grace that only God could give. And in John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it, the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him has already condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. John chapter 12, verse 47, it says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I do not come to judge and condemn the world, but it's to initiate the final judgment, but to save the world. When the woman was caught in adultery, here's what happened. He said, I'm not here to punish you for your sexual immorality. I'm here to set you free from sexual immorality. We will all one day be faced with the final judgment. And if you do not receive the truth and grace of God's message here on earth, you will not know what a life truly free is like. Those who accept Jesus will be saved by God's grace. Those who reject Jesus will be sentenced by God's justice. But God showed up in his unfailing love and kindness, sending Jesus our way to take our punishment on the cross. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you see his kindness. And then kindness starts to pull us away from sin and from the punishment that would, that would be for our sin because we are being led to repentance. Romans 2, 4 says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. He loves you so much, he wants you to repent of that sin. Jesus ate with sinners, but he never condoned their sin. The truth is that you are a far greater sinner than you think you are. <laughs> I'm saying it with a smile on my face. I'm a far greater sinner than I think I am. But he is a way better God than you think he is. He is tough and tender. He is grace and truth. He swaps out curse for blessing. He does not cancel you. He does not put you on blast. He embraces you and draws you close. He does not reject you. He calls you towards him. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin, but he tolerates you. And if you have any other truth than Jesus, you have a lie. If you do not have Jesus, you have a lie. And you can ask anyone at the sound of my voice at both of our locations that has met Jesus, they were living a lie before they found him. And one of the greatest lies of our generation is that you can be whoever you want to be, that you can do whatever you want to do, that you just be whatever. That's moral relativism. It's got no moral code. But we have the word of God and the truth of God and the grace through his son, Jesus. And I'm about to share with you a story of a couple who is pursuing divorce because they found the truth of God's word. Take a watch. We're gay, married, and had four kids with us, all very ethnically diverse. So it was quite the scene walking in. There wasn't any judgy, faces, no weird looks, no off-color comments. It just, all we heard was, welcome. My name is Nikki and this is my story. My name is Terry and this is my story. I grew up in a chaotic household and I was sexually abused at a young age. 
So that led me to being afraid of men. I was introduced to Jesus when I was about nine years old, but uh, my relationship with Jesus faded as a teenager. Uh, my dad always wanted a son and he never got one, but I did spend a majority of my childhood, if not all of my life thus far, trying to prove to him that I was just as good as a son would be. I guess over time, when I was in my like preteen years, maybe I really started to hate the feminine parts of me that were required of me um, because I felt like those were the things that made my dad not love me enough. So that led to seasons of depression and frequent thoughts of suicides. I feel like looking back that I've been mad at God since I was like five because I wasn't what I thought I should have been. So then I found myself being attracted more to females than males. So when I was a senior in high school, I sat down in my first day of Spanish class and uh, sat beside a painfully shy girl. And turns out it was Nikki. She made me feel worthy of love for the first time in my life. She made me feel safe. She was outgoing and she was strong. Um, and so we started a friendship. And friendship grew stronger and we thought we took those feelings as more. So I was 16 when I moved in with Terry. Um, my home didn't feel safe, but I felt safe with Terry. The decision that I made to be in a relationship with Terry made me less sensitive to other sins. I knew that Jesus was real, but I didn't feel convicted. Who are we hurting? Yes, that we that's what we would say all the time is who are we hurting? Her and I got married and we just kind of lived life for the next few years. So in September 2019, um, we got a phone call that my siblings needed somewhere to stay because there had been domestic violence in the home. And so with six hours notice, we had four children living with us and we knew that we couldn't, we could not raise four children without Jesus. So one of the first things we did was come to Focus Church, <laughs> which was scary because we were gay, married, and had four kids with us, all very ethnically diverse. So it was quite the scene walking in. There wasn't any judgy faces, no weird looks, no off-color comments. It just, all uh, we heard was, welcome. We're happy you're here. <laughs> My brother Mikey, he's, he was three at the time, and he was going to focus kids. They had never been taught about Jesus. And one day when we were leaving focus kids, we always asked the kids, what did you learn? And Mikey said, Jesus makes me strong and brave. And I remember thinking, I want to be strong and brave like Mikey, <laughs> because Jesus made him feel that way. When the kids left, we kept coming to focus. It was still important for us to have that relationship with Jesus. Um, we had started to feel the love of Jesus and we didn't want that to go away. In October of 2020, I had a cousin commit suicide and he was 15. And that was a very emotional moment in my life and I hadn't ever been wounded quite that deep before and I feel like that is the beginning moment of where God started to transform my life since I was I guess open and already so vulnerable. So we had been coming to Focus for a while so we wanted to build a community and have people that were making good choices that we could be friends with uh, because we hadn't had that through our entire relationship. But we weren't comfortable doing that because we were scared that our relationship would be make other people uncomfortable. Pastor Dave did a series and it was, how's your heart? And it turns out mine was in pretty bad shape. I realized that I was letting traumas 
define me more than letting God define me. And realizing that I was the one in control of letting God in. And so I kind of realized that I had been in my own way for a really long time. And it scared me and I stopped coming to church for about six months. When Terry was avoiding church, I came to church for my, by myself for the first time. And um, I felt strong and brave. <laughs> and I realized that Jesus had made me feel strong and brave. So I started to serve and uh, developing relationships with people and it felt good. So I would go home every Sunday and give Terry the full recap on the sermons and started telling her, I think what we're doing is not okay. We got to the point where we asked God, we said, God, we need a clear sign that you don't want us to be in a relationship anymore. And so when I came to church that next Sunday, we got our clear, clear answer from God. God spoke so clearly to us through that sermon that that afternoon when I got home, that's the afternoon we decided that we were ending things. I've felt dirty my whole life, and it feels good to feel clean and whole and really loved, like love that I haven't ever experienced before, love Jesus, um, and have community here at Focus, and be in a life group and feel comfortable. I can, I can share the things that have happened in my past and not be judged for them. After we decided to get divorced, I felt like I was able to come back to church. Like that whole time I was running, I wasn't coming to church, but Jesus was coming to me. You know, I guess that speaks to why I came back to church also. Because I was, I was thinking that I couldn't come back to church until I was better. But God's love isn't dependent on who I am. It's about who He is, and His love for me doesn't change based off of the things that I do. I'm learning through just experiencing community here that it's not perfection that God's after. He just wants you to be willing to progress. And that's what I'm doing. I'm progressing. You just witnessed a miracle at both of our locations. I trust you would give God some praise. I'm going to invite Terry and Nikki to the platform. Are they available? Make your way up here. There's a family that loves you. There's a God that loves you. Come on up here. You can make your way up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on. Would you thank God for the transforming work and the power of the Holy Spirit? This is a very big deal. Many of you, this is normal in your circle. And so when you hear something like this, you're like, why are they making such a big deal? Because this world has normalized sin to the point of so much acceptance and affirmation that people are in darkness. And when light is exposed, darkness does not like it. So we need to pray for both Terry and Nikki that they would be able to be bold and confident in the truth of God's word as they pursue righteousness and holiness. And we were all once dead in our sins, but thank God for Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. Would you stretch your hands towards them now as we 
embrace them. And I just pray boldness over each and every one of you to share your story. As you have exposed the lie of the enemy and embraced the light of God's word and God's truth, I pray for an anointing over both of you. I pray for fresh identity right now. Daughters of God, daughters of the King, fully complete in who Christ made you. And I pray against any attack of the enemy that would try to get you thinking any other way. I pray that this would be used as a testimony for many others. As it is countercultural, it is in complete alignment with your word. And I thank you for their boldness. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your truth. Lord, we love you. We stand next to them. We, we, we stand with them. And we say we love them. And we are grateful for the work that you are doing in their lives and in our lives at both of our locations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. It's your family. Love you guys. Love you. Come on, you can do better than that. He's a miracle working God. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Oh, the devil doesn't like it. He ain't going to be satisfied. One more. Hell is plundered and heaven is populated. In Jesus' name, windows of heaven are opening up. Right now, sin is canceled. Death is canceled. And life has walked into the building. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. If you came in here today at the sound of my voice and you are living a life apart from God, we want you to receive the grace and truth that comes from Him. At both of our locations today, everyone's head bowed, everyone's eyes closed. Receive this truth. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross on your behalf. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. If you came in here today, you know you're far from God. And you need the love and grace that only could come through His Son, Jesus. You've been living a lie. And you want to receive the salvation. Would you just raise your hand right now so that I can pray for you? Just raise your hand right now. I see that hand. Anybody else? Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep it high so that I can see it. I got people coming right now. They're going to put a, a little card in your hand. Come on, at both of our locations right now. Hands all over. Hands all over. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone in the sound of my voice, repeat after me. Say, Father God, I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me of my sins. Thank you for being full of grace and truth. Thank you for dying on a cross. I repent and I turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's clap our hands to the God of grace and truth. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you to those who give generously to make this ministry possible. You can click the link in our description to give now or visit www.givetofocus.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends. And hey, while you're at it, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Tag us at My Focus Church. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you.